Hey guys, I was really trying to hold out and avoid recording this episode uh, or releasing it until July 1 when we officially come back with new episodes. Um, (laughs) But here we are. I don't know how to not talk about the decision that the Supreme Court will overturn Roe v. Wade. So we're going to talk about it. Call it an emergency pod. Call it whatever. Today's episode is about the right to abortion and the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. For a long time, I was really hesitant to talk about abortion because I know that it's such a divisive issue. And I didn't want to make any of you feel less welcome here listening to the show or make you feel like you aren't welcome here because we disagree on a single issue. And in truth, that is not how I feel. I do continue to believe this is an ideologically inclusive show. Um, But I also realized that part of the reason that I didn't want to talk about it is because I was afraid. I was afraid that you'd stop listening or that you wouldn't want to communicate with me the way that you guys do. You'd be put off by one opinion. And and then this decision came down and I realized that I cannot be scared off of my own show for something like that. This is something that I want to talk about. It's something that I believe in a lot. And it's emotional for me, as you'll hear uh, towards the end of the episode. I guess I just, I present that to you humbly. And, you know, if this is a good day for you, then I hope that you move forward with humility and grace towards the other side. And if this is a bad day for you, if you feel afraid or violated, then I hope that you can find solidarity and know that you're not alone in feeling that way. Um, as, as I said, uh, new episodes will be coming back July 1st, so consider this an outlier, but we got to talk about it, so let's get into it. I didn't expect to feel like this. I knew it was coming, but still, I wasn't expecting it to feel this way. All signs were pointing in this direction. I mean, Trump told all of us exactly what was going to happen in his debate with Hillary Clinton six years ago. Well, if that would happen, because I am pro-life and I will be appointing pro-life judges, I would think that that will go back to the individual states. But I'm asking you specifically, would you like to... If they overturned it, it'll go back to the states. Do you want to see the court overturn Roe v. Wade? Well, if we put another two or perhaps three justices on, that's really what's going to be... That will happen. And that'll happen automatically, in my opinion, because I am putting pro-life justices on the court. Pretty clear, right? But for some reason, I still didn't get it. Amy Coney Barrett had written essays about overthrowing Roe prior to her confirmation. The new conservative majority agreed to hear the case that the state of Mississippi specifically designed to challenge Roe. The draft opinion leaked, and it was as extreme an opinion as you can credibly write. Yet in spite of all of that, I still wasn't prepared for how I would feel today, or how I'd feel right now. I have outlined, researched, and recorded three different episodes on this topic. Three. I've obsessed over the details of the opinion, the legal argument, the precedent, the moral arguments, essays, and interviews with people for and against. All of this to figure out what I want to say about abortion. And every time, I just didn't have it. It just wasn't right. I couldn't figure out how to talk about this issue with you because the burden of its significance was really heavy on me. It is, without a doubt, the most divisive issue in American politics right now. And I know that you guys have some really strong opinions about it. You have sent them to my inbox. 
I also have strong opinions about it. But my opinion, like most of yours, is nuanced. It's complicated, and it's not absolute. So as I dug into the details of the legal arguments and the personal testimonies, they, they didn't actually clarify my view on abortion. They complicated it. I still wasn't ready to talk about it. But today in a 6-3 vote along ideological lines, the Supreme Court has ruled in favor of a strict Mississippi abortion law that would eliminate a constitutional right that women have had for over 50 years. Now Roe v. Wade has gone from the thing that I really don't want to talk about to the only thing that I want to talk about. And while my view on abortion is complicated, the way I feel right now isn't. This is about so much more than abortion. It's about so much more than privacy. That's the weakness and the legal reasoning behind Roe, in my opinion. It's that this issue has always been about more than privacy, more than abortion. It has always been a conversation about liberty, autonomy, personhood, and freedom. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about my freedom. At least I didn't. I mean, it's always there and never threatened, not in a real way. In fact, quite the opposite. I've lived with so much unrestricted freedom that I don't even really notice that it's there. I've spent a lot of time, if I'm honest, being grateful to the military for protecting a thing that I don't fully understand. And my gratitude was directed to the military because I believed that attacks on my freedom would come from an external force like Russia or China. Today, I am thinking a lot about freedom. It's the promise that our country makes to the people within it. It's the promise that our country made to me. But what does it really mean to be free? In this country, it means that I have a right to express myself, to worship a god of my choosing, to speak my mind without fear of persecution. I can own a gun if I want to. I can decide who can come into my house. I have the right to a free trial, the right to acquire property and do with it what I please, the right to vote for people that I believe in, the right to representation, and above all else, the right to pursue the life I choose without interference from the government. I don't understand how somebody could argue that citizens of the United States are entitled to all of those freedoms, but that 50% of the population is not entitled to the most basic freedom of all. Freedom of body and freedom of self. What would we be without a body? Nothing. Air. To be a person is to have a body. And to be free means that the government doesn't own your body, you do. And if we believe that the government can claim ownership of your body, that it belongs to them, it does not belong to you, then we believe that the government claims ownership of yourself, that you belong to them. And if we allow that, we're not free. Control of your body is the basis of all freedom. If the government owns that, it owns your life. And if we allow this, if we let the government take control of a woman's body, by making decisions about whether or not she will bear a child. We deny her ownership of her own body. We deny her the most fundamental freedom outlined by the Constitution and natural law. We reduce her to a lesser class of citizenship, one that's not fully free. And now the state is saying to these women, we can choose not only to physically complicate your existence, put you at medical risk, make you poorer by the choice, because we believe what? Now, um, the sponsors of this bill, the House bill in Mississippi, said we're doing it because we have new justices. 
the newest ban that Mississippi has put in place, the six-week ban, the Senate sponsor said, we're doing it because we have new justices on the Supreme Court. Will this institution survive the stench that this creates in the public perception that the Constitution and its reading are just political acts? That's Justice Sotomayor during the oral argument for this case. The point that she raises is a good one. The case that they're arguing, would, the case that would be the basis for overturning Roe, it was designed specifically to challenge Roe. And it was brought to the court because they had new justices and they thought that they could win. And just think about that. Think about the precedent that sets for the impermanence of the law. How can the court remain legitimate if the law is subject to change? The dissenting opinion says this better than I ever could. They wrote, the court reverses course today for one reason and one reason only, because the composition of this court has changed. Stare decisis, this court has often said, contributes to the actual and perceived integrity of the judicial process by ensuring that decisions are founded in the law rather than in the proclivities of individuals. Today, the proclivities of individuals rule. The court departs from its obligation to faithfully and impartially apply the law. Think about that. The people writing that... It's not just some pissed off podcast host. That's three justices on the Supreme Court openly accusing the majority of failing to execute its obligations to impartially apply the law. Another point that's important to note is that legally, for you to try a case again, something has to have changed, right? You can't just keep trying a case over and over and over again until you get the verdict that you want. You get one shot unless the facts change. They argue repeatedly in the dissent that the facts here have not changed. The abortion conversation has been the same since Casey was ruled on in the 90s. There is no difference, which is the core of the dissent's position. Why did they overturn Roe? Because they could. Because they had the power. Chief Justice Roberts is a notoriously conservative justice. Now, the ideology of the court has swung so much that he's actually the swing vote, which is wild. But he didn't join the majority. Instead, he wrote a concurrence, which basically means I agree with the overall outcome of the majority's opinion, but I don't agree with their reasoning. And in that concurrence, he begged them he made the argument for judicial restraint. He said, Surely, we should adhere closely to the principles of judicial restraint, where the broader path the court chooses entails repudiating a constitutional right that we have not only previously recognized, but also expressly reaffirmed. The majority's dramatic and consequential ruling is unnecessary. Unnecessary. He asked them to show restraint, respect the issue before them, and show some humility. 
don't wield absolute power, but rule simply on the question that was asked. And the and this court's majority said no. They chose to use unrestricted judicial power to strip rights from women. They used the raw power of the judiciary, the Supreme Court, to take away a right that women have had for half a century. And it is hard not to see this as a political decision. When Trump proudly ran on appointing pro-life justices to overturn Roe. That's, he said it. He said it out loud. We played it earlier in this episode. He told us what he was going to do, and he told us why he was going to do it. And now look what they've done. It, Donald Trump campaigned on it as a political appointment, and that is what it became. And that's, not necessarily, and that's not necessarily their fault. Amy Coney Barrett didn't choose the circumstances under which she was confirmed to the court. She'd probably been working towards that her entire life. But she also cannot separate herself from her origin story. Nor can the court separate itself from those who would use it for their political agenda. Nor can the court separate itself from current events, from the world outside and apparently from their personal views on the issue. I want to be clear, the position that they took is the most extreme position that you could do. Imagine, imagine that you're at home and you realize that you really want an orange and you notice that your roommate is about to head out to the store. So you say, hey roommate, when you're there, would you mind getting me an orange? And your roommate's like, yeah man, cool, no problem. Except when they come back, they didn't bring you an orange. They brought you 300 oranges or I don't know, an entire orange tree. And you're like, whoa, I did not ask for this. Where will I put this? I cannot eat all of these before they spoil, bare minimum. But more importantly, what does a person now do with 300 oranges or an orange tree in an apartment? That is, <laughs> that's the lens that I think that we should view the Supreme Court opinion in. Because they were asked a question and they could have ruled on it more narrowly right like justice roberts would have had them do but instead they chose to completely eviscerate rowan casey to undo years of legal scholarship right or the established norms of this country established by the supreme court and they did not care not only that but justice alito that's the uh that's a justice that ends up writing the majority opinion it reads like your uncle's post on Facebook. Or if you're on the Republican side, let's say that 16-year-old that's never had a job but thinks that they can lecture you about the economy, right? That's how it reads. They're like, mm-hmm-hmm. The tone is, it's like Bart Simpson if Bart Simpson was also a rageaholic. And not only that, but I mean, he quotes this guy, Henry DeBracton or something like that. And I'll link to in the show notes. But this paper in which he refers to monsters, like real monsters, duels, burning witches at the stake, and says that women are property inferior to men. Or You know what? Honestly, if that is what you believe, then this would be the opinion that you would write. It's one thing to think that this is bad law, right? Maybe you do. And that it should be overturned on legal merits. I've heard that from a lot of people a hell of a lot smarter than me when it comes to the law. And fine. Yeah. Maybe. 
But when you write it, like this is the best day of your life, and you approach it with no humility, but instead, like you want to dunk on somebody and then call them a loser. I just don't think that that tone is helpful. And at this point, most of you probably know that the draft opinion was leaked in advance, right? So before we had the opinion that we got last week, we were able to read the draft opinion and it was rough, right? I mean, definitely the tone that I was just mentioning. And people were pissed. And there was this weird hope, right, that this draft opinion got out and people did not react well to it. So maybe he will reflect. Maybe Justice Alito will reflect and think, hmm, perhaps I should strike a softer tone. This is a very divisive issue and a lot of people have really intense opinions about it. So maybe I should, I don't know, treat them with respect. The tone of the draft opinion was pretty much this. Sharp and well devoted sigh that you may rid the crops of the gluttonous weeds in this world of sin, no doubt. Thankfully, uh, Justice Alito has used his time between the draft opinion and the final opinion to change that tone to be more like this. A fiendish festivity that included the offspring of the serpent of old, no doubt. <laughs> offspring of the serpent of old? It's what he calls women. <laughs> With their flaxen hair and tantalizing elbows, they're the very embodiment of sin. Yeah, he didn't change anything. He rests his legal argument on a couple primary pillars. First, that abortion, much like the Air Force, the internet, and the word woman, is never mentioned in the Constitution. And to that point, he is correct. They never say the word abortion. That would be oddly specific for a document that's primary function is to set up government and establish some basic rules for the road. Plus, if you really think through what is included, it doesn't exactly smack of modern specificities. They made the Constitution and they numbered it and the order is weird. They sat down, they had a feather, they knew how to make a pen, they were just being jerks. <laughs> Amendment number one, freedom of speech and freedom of assembly and freedom of religion. Okay, that's one. How about two? You can have all the guns you want! For two? How about like 17, 19? No! Two! All right, let's just put guns. He seems upset, all right? Amendment number three. The army can't live in your house. Okay, buddy, I think you're going through your own thing in life right now, and uh, put it down in writing. The army can't live in your house. In fairness, Justice Alito isn't wrong. If you go looking for the word abortion in the Constitution, you're not going to find it. But the word that you should actually be looking for is liberty. He then goes on to argue that abortion's not firmly rooted in the history and the tradition of the United States. If, in fairness, if we only went by things that we have a history and tradition of doing, we would still have segregated schools, black people would not be worth a full person, and women couldn't wear pants. How are we ever going to get better if we define the law by the limitations of our past? But even still, if we grant him this argument that abortion is not firmly rooted in the history and tradition of our country, fine. Bodily autonomy is. It's one of the oldest fundamental rights recognized by law. You can argue that bodily autonomy is protected by the 4th, 8th, and 14th Amendment, as well as the common law. The Supreme Court affirmed it in Union Pacific Railway v. Botsford when the court famously stated that no right is held more sacred or is more carefully guarded by the common law than the right of every individual to the possession and control of his own persons. It's convenient 
to make abortion separate from everything else, to make it an exception. I mean, Justice Alito does it in the opinion. But abortion is not an exception. It's not. It can't be. Decisions about whether or not to have a baby are the most intimate decisions that you can make. And these decisions cannot be separated from a woman's right to self-determination because women undoubtedly pay the price of pregnancy and parenthood at a much higher rate than men. The decision to have or not have a child will impact every aspect of a woman's life. The experience is incredibly painful. Her body will be different for the rest of her life. Her financial future will be forever changed. Her job prospects, her social mobility. Consider the wage gap. Obviously, we still have a problem where men are making more than women, right? But if you look at the data and you compare men to non-mothers, the difference is not nearly as bad. But if you compare the difference in wages between a man and a mother, it is staggering. Everything is impacted by these decisions, not to mention the physical toll of childbirth. In the best circumstances, childbirth is one of the most painful experiences a woman will endure. Women in the United States don't always get the best circumstances. Between 2014 and 2018, the rate of pregnancy complications rose by more than 16%, while rates for childbirth complications rose by 14%. About seven out of every 1,000 pregnant women experienced both kinds of complications, which is a 31% increase since 2014. We're getting worse. Not only that, but postpartum depression increased by 30% between 2014 and 2018. By 2018, one in 10 women would experience postpartum depression after childbirth. And all of that is if they survive. The U.S. has the highest maternal mortality rate among developed countries. What that means is that women have a higher rate of dying during childbirth than they do in any other developed country. Twice as many women die giving birth in America than in France or Canada. Nearly four times more women die here than in Australia. It's ridiculous and dangerous. There is no right more closely tied to freedom than this. Making abortion illegal means that the state can force a woman to have a child that she doesn't want because they eliminate every avenue that she has to terminate that pregnancy. And to perfectly understand the horrific implications of that decision, imagine it in reverse. If you let the government force a woman to have a baby, what's to stop the government from forcing them not to? Sterilization is the opposite of abortion, but if you open the door for one, you open the door for the other because you say that a woman's body doesn't belong to her, that it belongs to the government or a vote amongst her peers. And if you think that I'm being dramatic, you should consider China's one-child policy. That's a real thing. And I understand that this is a complicated issue. I think that there can be a lot of dishonesty in the arguments for and against. Those who support the right to an abortion can be careless and craven in the casual way that they talk about something that for so many women is a harrowing ordeal. They treat abortion like it should be celebrated or treated as casually as a root canal. But I think that on the other side of the argument, the anti-abortion crowd has a view of motherhood and pregnancy or childbirth that is less akin to reality and more akin to an under-discussed bop from uh, the King Paul Anka. I can see it, your face is glowing, I can see it in your eyes, I'm happy knowing that you have my baby, you're the woman I love and I love what it's doing to you. 
I wish that that's what childbirth, pregnancy, and motherhood were like for women. I really do. And if it was like that, then maybe this would be a different conversation. But if you reduce this conversation to the most extreme arguments of either side, you're not doing the argument any justice. If your argument is that it's just a group of cells and it's nothing, and the anti-abortion side just wants women to bear their rapist baby you're doing a disservice to the people that might be coming at this issue honestly from the other side. And if you're in the if you're in the camp that opposes abortion and you think that women are just out here freewheeling, living fast and loose, having sex with whomever and using abortion as a form of birth control, I think that you are doing an equal disservice. And I don't I don't mean to both sides this issue. I I don't like that, but you also can't deny that there are two sides of this issue. In fact, I think honestly, with abortion, it's not two sides, it's like an eight-sided object, right? And that's why it can't be reduced. But we do reduce it. And we reduce it because if we paint it in extremes, it's easier to process. The actual nuance of it is also the pain of it. It is easier to say that the other side is awful, that their case is bad, that they're baby murdering sluts or religious bigots that want women in cages. That's easier because obviously both of those characters are the bad guy. And in opposing them, you get to be the good guy. But it's never that simple. The truth is hard and it's painful because the pain of abortion lives in the almost and the unthinkables. It's, it's the almost lives of both the child and the mother. It's the future of the mother, the life of the baby. It's a woman almost being ready to leave somebody that she doesn't love or that treats her badly and finding out she's pregnant and knowing she will have to have that person in her life forever. It's almost being ready to buy a new car or get a new apartment and get out of your bad situation and then not being able to because you are forced to make decisions that you didn't want to make. It is almost graduating college almost getting that job that you've wanted your whole life, almost being happy, almost having a family, almost being a mother, almost being a daughter, or almost being born. That pain is in the potential, and it genuinely can be too painful to think about. Like, if you entertain the questions, like, what if that baby's a person? What if it suffers? What if this was the person that was going to bring back the headphone jack on the iPhone or cure cancer? What if that woman was raped what if that child was forced on her what if her husband beats her what if she didn't want this what if she is miserable for the rest of her life what if the entire trajectory of her life has changed and changed in a negative way what if you regret it what if you could have been something different what if your life was meant to be different what if you're not the parent that you thought you were? What if you can't provide the life for your children that you wanted to? What if you can't feed them? What if you can't send them to good schools? What if their life is worse for sharing it with you? All of those questions, they're hard questions. And that's why abortion doesn't have a simple answer. But the question that is simple is whether or not a woman is an equal citizen to a man in the United States or are they a second-class citizen? To me, 
The answer to that question is rooted in our constitution, that we are all given the basic freedom to pursue the life we choose. And that choice is not up to the government or the state. It's our right because we are free. So to me, the question is not, should abortion be illegal or not? It is, are women in this country free or not? Because I don't understand how you can say in the same breath that a woman is responsible and wise and virtuous enough to be a mother, to raise a freaking human being. I cannot keep plants alive. But you would trust me to have a baby, to shape a person for their entire life. But you would not trust me to be wise enough, responsible enough, or smart enough to decide if I want to do that or not. How can you say that a woman is unfit to make that decision for herself, but is fit enough to be a mother and make decisions for someone else? It's the same question. The only difference is her choice. That's what we remove when we remove the constitutional protection to abortion. It's not the abortion. It's the choice. I believe that one of the things that makes America a profoundly great country is that I don't have to be a Mormon to believe that they have the right to worship a God of their choosing. I don't have to own a gun to know that the Constitution says that they have a right to bear one. I would never force my beliefs onto another person because I believe that in America, that would be unjust. It would violate their freedom. Roe v. Wade did not force a single woman to have an abortion, but abolishing it forces them to bear a child that they don't want. It's not a conversation about choice. It's a conversation about the absence of one. If you don't believe in abortion, then thank God America is the kind of country where you don't have to get one. And if you're in that camp, if you oppose abortion, I think that you should really, really think about why you get to push your beliefs onto another person that does not share them. Is that the country that we stand for? Where people are not free, where people do not get to make this choice? Because I do think that this is what we're confronting. And I don't mean that to be preachy. I really don't. It's a question that I'm struggling with right now. Like we're coming up on the 4th of July and that's a holiday that I normally go all out for because I just feel so goddamn proud and I just think that there's one day a year that I got, I'm gonna show it. But this year, I don't feel proud. I really don't. And I hate that. That does not sit well with me. A week ago, I had more constitutional rights than I do today. And I think that that should scare everybody. It's not just about abortion. If it's about liberty, think about any right given to you by the Constitution or by precedent. And think about what it would be like to remove it. The example that comes to mind easiest for me is guns, right? Because in the same week that the Supreme Court said that Roe could be decided by the states, they said that the right to bear arms was too sacred to be entrusted to the states, right? The right to conceal carry a firearm is more sacred than my right to decide whether or not I want to have a child. Is that the country that we want to live in? A big theme on this podcast is extremism, right? I believe that the moderate is the natural enemy of extremism. And today what I'm forced to confront is that extremism is winning.
It is. Justice Roberts wrote that the majority expresses freedom from doubt. They don't have to consider that they could be wrong, that people could disagree. They believe in their righteous power and are determined to wield it. They could have decided. They think that they are suited to change the lives of 50% of the American population, that they are smart enough, that they are worthy. Can you imagine thinking that without any hesitation? Obviously, that's the job, but with no hesitation, no doubt, you know for sure that you're suited to do that, that you're right, and that there's no argument that could prove you wrong, because that's how they ruled on Roe. They decided to overturn a precedent, abolish a federal right that women have had for 50 years, strip women of their personhood and their equal right to their citizenship, because they could, because that's what they thought was right. And they wanted to use the full extent of their authority. They cast off their humility and the humility of their peers because they believed, like most extremists do, in the righteousness of their cause. Why would you compromise if you're sure that you're right? Extremists have won today. But what we do about that is up to us. It feels trite to say it, but I do think that these questions are on the ballot in November. I was texting my friend after it happened and she sent me a gif of a man sobbing in the shower and said that this is how she's feeling. And I sent her gifts of Winston Churchill's uh, speech where he says, well, we shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and the oceans and we shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall never surrender. I sent her that gift because that's how I want to feel about this. And you know what? In a week or so, maybe it, it will be how I feel about it. That, that we will fight and we will never surrender. And today I feel defeated, but tomorrow we will fight. We have to. Because this is how it happens. This is how it happens. And we have to do something about it. So yeah, it'll be on the ballot in November. It will. And we have to do everything possible to overturn this decision because extremists do not get to govern this country and because women cannot go backwards we cannot be less equal we can't be less free when we turn on the tv the shameful comments about our bodies the disrespect of our ambitions and intellect, the belief that you can do anything you want to a woman, it is cruel, it's, it's frightening. And the truth is, it hurts, it, it, it hurts. It reminds us of stories we've heard from our mothers and grandmothers about how back in their day, the boss could say and do whatever he pleased to the women in the office, and even though they worked so hard, jumped over every hurdle to prove themselves, it was never enough. We thought all of that was ancient history, didn't we? It is intolerable. And it doesn't matter what party you belong to. Democrat, Republican, Independent, no woman deserves to be treated this way. You know, I just, I just feel, I just feel like women, the, 
they have minds and they have souls as well as just hearts and they've got ambition and they've got talent as well as just beauty and I'm so sick of people saying that that love is just all a woman is fit for I'm so sick of it women are not even accepted as human beings they are treated with injustice and inequality women are denied they are neglected even in the developed countries i am from britain and i think it is right that i am paid the same as my male counterparts i think it is right that i should be able to make decisions about my own body i will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man i will not and the government will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man how do we use this moment to elevate what is happening instead of uh, victim continually victimize ourselves it's our responsibility to make this world a better place yes we play sports yes we play soccer Yes, we're female athletes, but we're so much more than that. The women's movement of this world has mellowed. Our issues and our conversation has become issues for men. I get angry when I think about it. No woman should sit down and allow a man to speak about her reproductive rights. Until, until you've gone through that process, I've come from Africa to tell you you don't qualify. in Beijing and for the world to hear that it is no longer acceptable to discuss women's rights as separate from human rights. It is a violation of human rights when women are denied the right to plan their own families and that includes being forced to have abortions or being sterilized against their will. If there is one message that echoes forth from this conference, let it be that human rights are women's rights and women's rights are human rights once and for all. All right, guys, that's it for this episode, but that's not it for this fight. I want to hear about what you want to do about this. How you think about it. And if there's anything that I can do to help, let me know. My inbox is always open. Talk at moderatepartypodcast.com.